0: Hello! Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time, We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share, even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. is one of those awkward periods of British history where it seems like everyone is named the same thing. True, George. And it can be challenging to keep them apart. When we look a bit closer, we find that in addition to sharing a name, the first four Georges shared something else, a stunning inability to get along with their fathers and or their sons. Let's look at some questions about the four kings named George who ruled Britain from 1714 to 1830. Question 1. How did these guys come to rule England? In 1688, seven Protestant nobles invited William of Orange and the king's eldest daughter Mary to invade England and rule together. William and Mary died with no children, so the crown passed to Mary's younger sister, who became Queen Anne. The Act of Settlement of 1701 specified the crown must pass to a Protestant, When Anne's only son died, Electress Sophia of Hanover, granddaughter of James I, became the heir. Sophia and Queen Anne died in quick succession in 1714. So the crown passed to the son and heir of Sophia, George. So now we have Georges in England. Question two. What was George I like as King of England? George arrived in England about a month after his mother died and was crowned at Westminster Abbey on October 20th. His frequent visits back to Hanover give us insight into his family relationships. Typically, a king would have his wife, the queen, or his adult son, the Prince of Wales, act as regent when he traveled out of the country. George I made neither of these choices. George had married his cousin, Sophia of Sell in 1682. The marriage featured scandalous affairs on both sides and the murder of Sophia's lover. George dissolved the marriage, imprisoned his wife, and left her behind in Hanover. He arrived in England with two mistresses. According to rumor, one was fat and one was thin, and they were nicknamed Elephant and Castle. George I had always had a poor relationship with his son as well. His son, George Augustus, was quite popular, and George I was jealous. George Augustus began encouraging political opposition to his father's policies. The king responded by deliberately not having the prince act as regent on his numerous trips to Hanover. Things came to a head when George I forced George Augustus and his wife, Princess Caroline, to move out of St. James Palace and leave their children behind. The prince and princess took up residence at Leicester House, away from court. Shut out of his father's court... George Augustus continued to support opposition to the king's reign. Leicester House became a meeting place for the king's political opponents. It seems fitting that George I died on one of those many trips to Hanover. He was buried in Hanover. In a final irony, his burial place, Lenn Palace, was destroyed by British bombs during World War II. Question three. So was George II any better? Like his father, George Augustus was born and raised in Germany. He married Caroline von Spach in 1705. Within a couple of years, Caroline provided her, sus- her husband and heir, Frederick. Now you're thinking, wait, what? I thought they were all named George. Stay tuned. When his father became king in 1714, he traveled with him to England. Princess Caroline and their children followed quickly, all except Frederick, who was left behind in Hanover to be brought up by Tudors. George Augustus became King George II when his father died in June 1727. One of his first public decisions as king was to skip the trip to Germany for his father's funeral. His English subjects saw this as a sign of preference for England. He and Caroline were crowned at Westminster Abbey October 22, 1727. So did George II learn from his father's mistakes and cultivate a good relationship with his son and heir? Um, no. He left his son in Germany for 14 years before bringing him to England in 1728. When Frederick arrived, he angered his father by becoming the focal point for political opposition. Frederick's request for an increase in his allowance escalated the problem. In 1737, Frederick and his wife Augusta announced they were expecting their first child— The queen insisted on observing the birth. It was traditional that a royal birth be officially observed. It was not traditional for the child's grandmother to accuse the baby's parents of attempting to to smuggle in a baby after a false pregnancy. But this was not a traditional family. Frederick decided he would stop at nothing to deny his parents the chance to witness the birth when augusta went into labor at hampton court palace where the king and queen were also staying frederick rushed her down the stairs and into a waiting carriage they raced across bumpy roads to get to saint james palace the delivery was extremely risky saint james palace was not prepared to receive them there was no bed prepared for the princess and the baby was born on a tablecloth. The queen was hot on their heels and pushed her way into the palace. She stated that she was relieved the child was, quote, an ugly little she-mouse instead of a male heir. The statement further antagonized Frederick and Augusta. The queen went on to express her feelings about her son, quote, my dear firstborn is the greatest ass the greatest liar and the greatest beast in the whole world and i most heartily wish he was out of it well in 1721 the queen got her wish and frederick died unexpectedly william thackeray captures the response to the death of the prince thus here lies poor fred who was alive and is dead had it been his father i had much rather had it been his sister nobody would have missed her. Had it been his brother, still better than another. Had it been the whole generation, so much better for the nation. But since it is Fred, who was alive and is dead, there is no more to be said. Frederick's son, George, became the heir to the throne. As Prince George was just 12 years old at the time, the king and parliament designated Augusta as regent if George inherited the throne before he was 18. On October 25th, 1760, King George II got up, went to his clothes stool, bathroom, collapsed, and died. Yes, on the toilet. He had reigned for 33 years and was succeeded by his grandson. Question four What's the real deal with George III? George III is the most famous British king in American history, but how much do we really know about him? Was he as bad as he's typically made out to be? George III was very proud of the fact he was the first British-born king since James II. He declared, Born and educated in this country, I glory in the name of Britain. He saw himself as destined to guide his country along the paths of virtue. His opponents saw him as a tyrant out to subvert the Constitution. As a young man, George was heavily influenced by his tutor, John Stuart, Earl of Butte. Butte felt the Whigs were corrupt and convinced young George that Britain could be ruled by virtue alone, without the messy compromises required of dealing with people. George trusted Butte enough to assign him to find an appropriate royal bride. After all, the king might glory in the name of Britain, but he wasn't about to marry a British non-royal. Charlotte Sophia of Mecklenburg arrived in London September 8th, 1761. She and George met each other and were married that same day. George had agreed to a dynastic marriage, writing that the interest of my country shall ever be my first care and my own inclinations shall submit to it. Surprisingly, the marriage was a smashing success. The pair became devoted to each other. George was faithful to his wife and loved her and his children. Well, there was one member of the family he didn't get along with so well. Can you guess who it was? That's right, his son and heir. Prince George was born two years after his father was crowned. As he grew, he and his brother chafed at the pious atmosphere of the parents' home. George was a particularly bad example for his younger brother Frederick, the Duke of York. The boys gambled and accumulated heavy debts, drank to excess, and spent as much time as they could with unsavory companions. While worrying about his son's behavior at home, George III was faced with problems abroad as well. Butte, having successfully turned the king against the Whigs, was the beneficiary when the Whig ministers resigned and he was appointed Lord Treasurer. Butte's ministry negotiated the 1763 Treaty of Paris, which caused popular and patriotic outrage in England. Butte resigned, but the fallout from the war with the French had long-term financial consequences. This led to the decision to tax the American colonies. Here's how a British history book describes the situation. Quote, The decision was made to make the American colonists, whose security had hitherto been underwritten by British taxpayers, Stump for their own defense, end quote. That's not exactly how the Americans saw it, of course. Various taxes were levied on the colonies, leading to a complete break. George III became the embodiment of British tyranny. The Declaration of Independence makes that clear. Quote, the history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpation, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute Tyranny over these states. As the war with America proceeded, the king became despondent and considered abdicating. However, he recognized the political and military realities and met John Adams in 1785, greeting him with these words I was the last to consent to the separation, but the separation having been made, I say now I would be the first to meet the friendship of the United States as an independent power. The loss of the colonies brought political upheaval to Britain. The House of Commons attempted to reduce the king's power, and leadership was in a flux. In a stunningly unconstitutional move, George III declared that he would consider any peer voting for the Whig government's India bill his enemy. The electorate responded by defeating Whig leader Charles James Fox, a man the king despised, and electing the king's choice, William Pitt, as prime minister. This created another family crisis, as Prince George was friends with and supported Fox. When the king's health broke down for the first time in 1788, Fox was among those pressing for the Prince of Wales to be given more power. It all came to nothing when the king recovered. However, as time went on, George III's health continued to decline. He had another break in 1804, but recovered Finally, after the death of his favorite daughter, Amelia, in 1810, George III fell into a period of madness that continued through the rest of his life. There were a few brief periods of lucidity, but the madness of King George left him incapable of ruling. His son was appointed the Prince Regent in 1811. Question 5. Prince Regent? What's that? Who's the king? Prince George was made Prince Regent and designated to reign in his father's behalf. After years of public scandals, he had established a reputation that worked against his ability to reign. The poet Shelley portrayed the young royals as an absurd drain on the country. Quote, "...princes, the dregs of their dull race, who flow through the public scorn mud from a muddy spring." rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech-like to their fainting country cling. In addition, Prince George and his brothers were regularly portrayed and caricatured in popular, mass-produced comic depictions, often bordering on obscene. The portrayal of Prince George as the Prince of Wales, for example, and womanizer did significant damage to his reputation and the reputation of the royal family. The prince's increasing waistline and womanizing was at the heart of a rhyme you might be familiar with and might not know was initially aimed at him. Georgie Porgy, pudding, and pie kissed the girls and made them cry. When the boys came out to play, Georgie Porgy ran away. Resisting his father's call for a dynastic marriage, Prince George had many mistresses before settling down with Maria Fitzherbert, a married Roman Catholic woman. He secretly married her in December 1785. The marriage was illegal because the Royal Marriage Act required anyone in the succession to get the king's approval before marrying. In addition, marrying a Catholic would have barred the prince from inheriting the throne. Ten years later, the prince was in enormous debt and desperate for money to pay off his creditors. Parliament offered to bail him out if he legally married Princess Caroline of Brunswick. Reportedly, the prince's friends had to get him completely drunk to go through with the marriage. Caroline became pregnant quickly and gave birth to a daughter, Charlotte. The couple immediately separated. The prince made his way back to Maria Fitzherbert. Public support was with Princess Caroline. When George III died, the new king's ministers attempted to have the marriage annulled, but those proceedings collapsed. When Caroline attempted to attend George IV's coronation, she was physically prevented from entering Westminster Abbey. Apparently, this final humiliation did her in, and she died three weeks later. George IV was an old man by the time his father died and he officially became king, Tragically, his daughter and heir, Princess Charlotte, died three years before he took the throne, and it was obvious he would have no more legitimate children. His health broken by years of excess eating and drinking, he died June 26, 1830. With no children to inherit, the crown passed to his brother William, and the period of King's George was finished. What, if anything, can we learn from this? The Georges seemed quite unable to learn from their predecessors. Problems between family members get in the way of things being done well. That's a good lesson, whether it's family members or team members. Conflicts tend to pop out and cause problems at the worst time. Learn from others and make things better. Walter Savage Lander summed up the Georges this way. George I was always reckoned vile, but filer George II. And what mortal... Ever heard any good of George III. When from the earth the fourth descended, God be praised, the Georges ended. Thank you for strolling through the Georgian family dramas with me. Be sure to come back next week when we see how George IV's niece, Queen Victoria, had her own family drama with her mother and her daughter. Till then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time.